0: You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Tour. This is a grab bag of old school western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship for these hosses of yore. Crew, this is Mark Hatmaker coming to you from the Comancheria. We're going to talk, uh, well, the title of today's sermon is A Viking Case for Low-Line Kicking. All right, for today's historical combat exercise, we're going to follow a weave of martial endeavor that moves from the American frontier rough-and-tumble strategy of attacking the buckler to a bit of Viking archaeology to some chicken-and-the-egg bragging rights for which came first between a French martial art and uh, martial art of the Emerald Islands and end with uh, all this historical and archaeological speculation of what this has to do with modern-day approaches to self-protection. All right, let's start our journey in the wilds of the American frontier, okay? A rough and tumble land that was sparked a fighting style of the same name. A fighting style that was all-encompassing and vicious in war, and a bit more restrained, but still mighty vicious for friendly competition. Again, eye-gouging, sometimes in the friendly stuff. Good God. Anyway, the early days of frontier survival called for ready skill with musket, tomahawk, trade knife, whatever else was close at hand. When nothing was close at hand, the violence fell to the hands themselves, plus other natural weapons of the body. The rough-and-tumble style was-is, a hybrid of boxing and wrestling styles from many lands in the melting pot frontier, but it was also a bit more than that, as necessity, and exposure to different ways sparked innovation. One such spark was the concept of attacking the buckler. Now, a buckler is a small shield worn over the forearm of the off-weapon hand of a sword, pike, or axe-wielding warrior. The lead hand took care of the offense, while the buckler arm took care of the defense, although offense with the buckler is not off the table. Okay, now the buckler is held by sliding the forearm through a loop, rope, or a rope loop, or a leather thong in the center of the buckler and then gripping a second handhold towards the inside edge of the buckler. If one drops a buckler and adopts a mock holding a buckler stance with both arms, you would be standing in a very good approximation of a boxing stance. So there's lots of parallels all down the line, all right? Now, when wielding a weapon versus a buckler wielding opponent, the buckler was not always ignored. Striking the buckler with force could occupy the opponent and/or upset balance base for the next offensive strike uh, not to the buckler. Now, when all... Things went empty-handed. The same idea of attacking the buckler remained. That is, rather than treat the empty-hand encounter as modern sportive applications do, where one must treat the defending arms, the twin bucklers, as obstacles to be surmounted to score your points, uh, your ways to work around them. The rough and tumble style saw them as viable and prime targets. Now we cover a great deal of specific tactics for attacking the buckler empty-handed style in our black box material. We're not—that's not what we're discussing here today. If you want more on that, clearly take a look at the uh, black box subscription service stuff. There. There for the the how to's. Uh, Now, attacking the buckler is a wise strategy well worth reviving, as is the opposite strategy, which is what we're discussing today, which is ignoring the buckler. Now let's talk the Vikings. Uh, the sagas of these legendary Norsemen are filled with battles and gore, and if one is an ardent reader of these, you are going to come across more than a few amputations in the midst of battle. A fair number of these amputations are of the legs or feet. But the sagas are stories, not history, right? I mean, just how accurately do these stories relate to what was occurring in Viking battle? It'd be nice to know. Well, in 1905, on the island of Gotland, and forgive me, the lots of foreign words coming up here. If I mispronounce them, forgive me, because I ain't foreign. In 1905, on the island of Gotland, near a town called Visby, Oscar Wilhelm Wienerschen and Niels Peterson were the first to begin archaeological digs that revealed the aftermath of the Battle of Visby, which was fought in 1361. Approximately 2,000 bodies have been exhumed in the ongoing study of Visby, and an examination of the wounds on all battle-age-likely skeletons proves quite illuminating. You see, now, wounds from cutting weapons, which, you know, sword, or battle axes, occur in 456 skeletons, alright? Now of these cutting wounds, only 15% of the total wounds are to the arms. Now, One would presume that the use of shields and bucklers keeps these totals low. So out of 456, with the wounds, only 15% are to the arms. Now with that 15% in mind, does that mean the head wounds took the lead? Well, not by a long shot. Wounds to the lower extremities come in at a whopping 65% of the total, alright? Now, although the sagas are rife with stories and tactics of chopping shields and bucklers to bits, as well as uh, shield offsetting tactics, it seems the effective or perhaps preferred method of attack was to ignore the buckler. Ignoring the buckler can be taken to the unarmed realm as well, or as an adjunct to the armed realm if we look at low line kicking in combat, which is in essence in ignoring the buckler strategy, whether for better balance, the pragmatics of battlefield terrain, or the on the nose strategy of choosing to avoid that which protects your opponent. Now, there are many references to long line kicking and American frontier rough and tumble, but let's keep this on the other side of the pond for now as we follow that Viking migration. Now, as the Norsemen raided, and in many cases intermingled, built allies, intermarried, and settled down along the coast of Ireland and Scotland, we also have it ignoring the buckler strategy seen among these various Celtic tribes in both weapons play and the use of low line kicking. The Gaelic word, uh, and I'm going to provide you a link so you're to, you can know, read it for yourself, loosely pronounced spacheracht. If you say spacheracht, you're coming close to it. It refers to a method of low kicking that both targets the shin, as the, in the purring kick of Welsh and Cornish tradition, the oblique kick of Filipino pan and jac, men are here, I'm going to butcher some French, of the cube, pi, cube de piaba of Savat, <laughs> that's hilarious, of Savat, and also uses the shin as the striking service. Now, here's the chicken or the egg portion of the show. The mentions or allusions to Spakarok, stretch back to the Norse invasions, where Savat literature begins its heyday in the 18th century. Now, whom borrowed from whom matters to many, but not to my way of thinking, the wisdom of a wise borrow outweighs the dubious bragging rights. And I was here first, I and mean, we, we just want to have things that work, right? So we had this cultural melting pot. Things are just migrating and moving and transforming the entire town. We can't forget there a lot of lumberjack kicking going on. We can't forget a lot of the lumberjacks. We're settling, or we're, we're settling in the, uh, the northern regions of the, uh, of the U.S. and uh, the, the southern regions of Canada were people from Norway, the Scandinavian nations. So undoubtedly, there's a lot of tactics that are being carried over. Now, it is revealing uh, that there was a form of spacker-ock that is practiced with two participants only kicking. It was primarily used in conjunction with boxing and wrestling, and one can easily imagine times of sword and axe uh, uh, and shielded battle. It comes into play. Now, it seems our bellicose historical ancestors on both sides of the pond did not see bucklers or defending arms as puzzles to be cracked, obstacles to be avoided, or thwarts to our attack, or we just have to get past them so we can rack up our points. They pragmatically and wisely chose to make a target at what was a defense or to go beneath the defense altogether. Now, so whether our influence be rough and tumble... Viking Ways, savat, Spakarok, Muay Thai, what have you? The historical lesson here is not the how or what t- technique but the strategy of attacking and or avoiding the buckler that carries the combat moral of the day. Now this is prime stuff. And again, I'll provide some links here if you want to go on and have uh, put your eyes on some text about this with a few other resources, uh, some some photos and all this. Or you can visit the store if you actually like to move from uh, sitting and listening and hearing, and actually uh, putting this to work. Take a look at the black box program and you know look at our store. Lots of new swag added recently. Anyway, guys, have a good one.